My name is Gordon Runyon, and I was once dead. I was born in 1966, raised all my life in a small town in New Mexico. Went into the Navy when I was 17, going on 18, and uh, by the time I turned 23, I was married to a high school sweetheart, and yet, after a few years of marriage, I was on the verge of destroying that relationship. I was a serial alcohol abuser. I was a bully. I was kind of a mean guy to the men that I worked with in the Navy, and uh, part of that was a reaction to the fact that I had been bullied the whole time I was going through school and uh, just found an opportunity to not be bullied again and and uh, it was just ridiculous. You would think that somebody who had been bullied would not want to do that to someone else, but that's not the way it worked. So I was always drinking and partying and and uh, thinking that that was a blast, uh, and and I was addicted. There's no other way to say it. I was a slave to pornography. I'd been introduced to some fairly hardcore pornography in my own home when I was four years old. By the time somebody suggested to me that addiction to it was a, that that was a thing, that you could be addicted. Uh, I was maybe six or seven when I heard about that, and the moment I heard about it, I knew it was already true of me. I, I felt it on the inside. I knew I was a slave. And so there I was in the Navy, in the Navy's uh, nuclear power submarine program, and I had been raised in a nominally Christian home. Uh, and I mean, we went to church on Sunday morning. And I mean, if if there wasn't a good football game on, we went to church on Sunday morning. And uh, we usually prayed before we ate dinner. But that was the extent of our Christian activity. And... Uh, I went through a confirmation class in that church, and at the end of it, they told me I was a Christian, and so I believed that's what I was. Obviously, had not been converted or anything like that, and uh, and so there I was. That was me, a uh, serial drunk, uh, bully, addicted to pornography, destroying my marriage. Slowly, but surely. And if you had asked me the entire time, I would have told you that I was a Christian. There I was. My wife and I, we had just been transferred from uh, the submarine in Pearl Harbor. Transferred to a teaching post at a training facility in Idaho. And... While we were waiting for our furniture to arrive, we were sleeping on an air mattress. We had a tiny little TV in the room. 
And one night in November of 1989, I woke up in the middle of the night. We had fallen asleep with the TV on. And I looked and saw, and there was a there was a TV preacher on there, a pretty typical TV preacher. But uh, I listened to what he had to say because for about six months, uh, I had really been questioning what I actually believed, and and the thought that kept going through my mind is that uh, there had to be more. If if the God that I said I believed in, if he really existed, then I can't really be experiencing Christianity. I mean, there's got to be more to it than, than what I was doing. And so I listened to what this preacher had to say, and, and uh, the element of his message that stood out and that I know really struck me, he talked about... He talked about the fact that he believed God was calling men to step up and be men in the kingdom, and uh, and that meant that meant treating the faith like it was like it was warfare. It meant to, treating the Bible like it was marching orders, and it meant having to be self-disciplined for the sake of obeying the commander in chief. And that was all stuff I understood. I had been in the Navy for about five years by that time, and uh, that all made sense to me. But something about that really tugged at my, at my chest, you know, at the inside of my chest. It was, uh, I wanted to be that man. I wanted to be that man of God. Well, at the end of this, at the end of the preacher's sermon, he invited people viewing at home to bow their heads and, you know, repeat this prayer after me, which is a, a thing that I don't do. And as a pastor, I don't, I don't do things that way. And, and I think the sinner's prayer is, you know, I agree that with Paul Washer, I agree that the sinner's prayer has probably sent more people to hell than every brothel in the world. But there I was, and I prayed the sinner's prayer and while I was praying it, I had my eyes closed, and in the middle of the prayer, I was overcome, overwhelmed by the sense that I wasn't alone in the room. Now, my wife was there, she was sleeping next to me, but I had my eyes closed, and I really believed there was somebody else there, and I was scared to death that it was the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was horrified at the thought that he was really there, and, uh, and I was fearful to open my eyes. I didn't want to do it. I I had no idea what was going to happen if I opened my eyes and I saw him, and I really believed I would. And uh, so I prayed this prayer just with the idea that if the God that I claim I believe in if he really exists, then he deserves everything. And I had never given him anything, and he deserves everything, and more than I could ever give. And uh, and so that night, that was, that was my heart's intention, to just give everything to Jesus, and to be that man of God that the preacher was talking about.
And I was a little bit disappointed that after a few minutes, the feeling that maybe there was somebody standing right in front of me, that went away and I opened my eyes and of course it was just me and my wife in the room and I turned off the TV and and went to sleep and honestly feeling kind of disappointed. I don't know what I was expecting, uh, fireworks or an earthquake or, or something, but uh, I didn't experience anything like that and and kind of bummed out about it. I went to sleep and in the morning... I woke up and I had a very intense, almost panicked feeling that I was on the verge of dying. It wasn't anything physical, but I really believed in that moment that if I did not get the Bible inside me, if I didn't start reading it and knowing it, if I didn't start consuming it, that I was going to die. And, uh, and it was a, it was honestly a panicked feeling, and I asked my wife, do we have a Bible? Do we have it here? And we were living out of boxes, and she managed to find a Bible. In the providence of God, it was an hour and a half trip one way to the training facility on a bus to do my job. And so that was three hours worth of commuting time every day that... Uh, I just spent it reading and doing that devouring. The image that I had in my mind was I really felt like a man who's been crawling through the desert for two days and and suddenly stumbles upon an oasis and and uh, just throws himself into the water. You know, forget about standing on the bank and just kind of scooping some water into your mouth. He, he just he just dives in. And he's thrashing around doing everything he can to just get as much inside him as he possibly can. And, and that was me with the Bible. And uh, and that's what God used to grow me right away. The other thing that I noticed, uh, I noticed within a couple of days, was that my affections had changed. And I mean by that, that the bullying stuff that I was doing was suddenly not fun anymore. There was nothing that I liked about it. In fact, I was, I found myself being ashamed and disgusted over it. And, and I noticed that within me where I had nurtured a love of physical violence, there was none of that anymore. And, uh, and that wasn't on purpose. I just noticed what used to be there is different, and it's it's not that anymore. And there were other things like that. I since that day, I've never been drunk again. And uh, and it wasn't because anybody told me, you know, thou shalt not damage thou thy sobriety or anything like that. Uh, it was just the same sort of thing. I just knew. That's not what I was pursuing anymore, and uh, it took a while of reading and studying to figure out what had happened, but it was the, I'm convinced now, it was the new birth that's promised in the New Testament, and uh, it was the repentance that is mentioned as being required for conversion. And, and the funny thing about that was that nobody ever told me that I needed to repent. And frankly, they didn't have to. 
because things had changed in me and I knew I didn't want to be that same guy anymore. I wanted to be the man that the Lord was changing me into, the man that he wanted me to be. And frankly, you know, there have been some ebbs and flows and uh, although God took away the the violence and the drunkenness immediately, uh, overcoming the slavery to pornography was a slower process. And, uh, you know, I, I can't even begin to count the number of times that I begged God to take this away and, and, uh, and doubted my salvation because I, I kept finding myself susceptible to the same temptations and, and uh, kept falling and failing and knowing that I really hate this stuff and yet I'm, I seem to be powerless against it. And uh, like I say, the, the devil used that too and, and uh, would kind of sit on my shoulder as it were and whisper to me, if your faith has not been strong enough to set you free from this particular sin, then what makes you think your faith has been strong enough to save your soul? And uh, so it was a tumultuous time, and it was a time of a lot of uh, spiritual warfare and doubt and and uh, all of that. And uh, I wish I had a magic bullet that I could that I could relay to you. I know a lot of guys struggle with the same thing, and I wish there was some magic word I could give you, and there just isn't. And or at least there wasn't in my experience. And the only thing that has ever brought me lasting freedom, and thank God it has, is just growing in the pursuit of Christ Himself, pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, seeking sometimes in a panic, seeking the face of God, seeking more of His power in my life, uh, understanding more and more the simple gospel of, of what it is that Jesus did on the cross and, and, uh, and how that's applied to me by the Holy Spirit and really understanding the theology of atonement and imputation, the fact that as a child of God, I condemn myself for my failure, but the truth is that even those failures were imputed to Christ on the cross and he died as if he was the one who was guilty of them and in exchange his perfections his complete obedience to the law and the will of his father all of that's imputed to me as as unjust as it sounds and unfair as it, it strikes our ears uh coming to understand those things and really believe them, that's that's all that brought freedom. Set free by the gospel, even years after I was converted, uh, that's that's all it was. And and so my only bit of advice if you're struggling in the same slavery is you got you, you may be converted but you need Jesus and you need to pursue him like your life depends on it. You need to you need to beg him for more of his power and grace in your life and you need to study. 
you need to be in the word and you need to understand what his promises toward you really are. And you need to grab onto those things as if everything you are depends on you holding on. And that's how tightly you need to claim. That's the only place freedom is going to come from. Yeah, you can have an, an accountability partner, but anybody who's actually been a addict to anything at all, you become really good at lying. So you can have an accountability partner, but it's easy to lie, and and then that doesn't do you any good. And you can learn how to bounce your eyes from here to there and, and all that. All those are cosmetic tips and tricks that don't do anything to change your heart. And you got to beg God. You just got to, you have to fly to Jesus. You have to fly to Jesus and just keep keep on his doorstep until he opens the door and, and comes to you in that sort of uh, rescuing power. That's your only hope. It really is. And so after Jesus came into my life like that and converted me in his good grace toward me and my wife, uh, he gave us our marriage back. And we've been married 30 years now, and he gave us children. He's been gracious to us in, in their raising, and uh, and he's just given us so much more than we've ever earned or deserved. Uh, shortly after I got saved, I started to understand that I was being drawn to the study of theology and and uh, a friend of mine introduced me to a book by a man named Dr. Gary North. It was called 75 Bible Questions Your Instructors Pray You Won't Ask. And that book hit my life like a bunker buster bomb in Iraq. I mean, it just <laughs> it blew me up at the roots. <laughs> but it uh, it pointed me in the direction of being put back together in the right way. And so here I am now, years later, with a seminary degree and and in my ninth total year as a pastor of a Southern Baptist church, uh, working on six years at, at the church I'm at now in Tucumcari, New Mexico. And uh, and coming into to understand that Jesus really is Lord over every area of my life. Uh, I've done things like uh, gone into politics briefly. I ran for county office here. I was the chairman of my local Republican Party for a little while. And uh, all out of a desire to simply pursue the Lordship of Christ in every area and to see to see his crown rights be pressed in places where they had not yet been. Uh, God led me to write. God's gifted me with some meager communication skills. You may not be able to tell from what I'm doing here, but uh, I can write. I can I can put some sentences together in a good way. And uh, and so I've got a couple of novels written and, and some Bible studies and stuff like that. Again, just out of a desire to use the gifts that God's given me in a, in a way that brings glory to Christ. That's what I'm about. That's where I'm headed. That's, what, that's all I'm doing. Uh, still being challenged. 
still being challenged to seek God with everything that I have. And uh, it really is true. Like the song says, I once was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. And I, w I really was once dead, but now by the grace of God, I'm kingdom-driven.